and welcome to this episode of Battling with Business with me, Gareth Tennant. Oh, and me, Chris Kitchener. What is that noise? Uh, that is the noise of Christmas bells. Just towards the end of November as we're recording this. But this is a Christmas episode. And so, damn it, if we're not going to sound a bit Christmassy. Shall I stop it now, Gareth? Please do. All right, we'll stop that. In this podcast, we explore ideas around teams and teamwork, leaders and leadership, and all things in between. It's a discussion between a former Royal Marines officer and a product manager from the world of business, comparing and contrasting our experiences as we attempt to work out what makes teams, leaders, and businesses tick. And as you've very subtly introduced there, Chris, this is our Christmas episode being recorded in mid-November. Mid-November, but we've got a glass of red wine. We have. And we did talk a bit about Christmas before we started. So I'm feeling Christmassy and I feel really bad that we've broken the fourth wall. And for all the people that watch Christmas Top of the Pops showing my age and all those Christmas shows that are, in fact, probably being recorded about now, about a week or two before Hootenanny is recorded, I believe. <laughs> uh, we've, we've told you the secret that we're recording this a little bit early. So because hopefully around the time you're listening to this, both myself and Gareth will be sitting back eating far too much quality street and with any luck watching the great escape or where eagles dare so there you go there's the dark secret but on the theme of christmas or at least sort of as we come towards the end of the year we had a long discussion about what we wanted to do to make a slightly more festive episode you'll be pleased to know that we very quickly discounted the idea of what kind of leadership the Santa exercise. But anyway, we, we we sort of said, okay, we'll dismiss that. But what else? What else can we do? And actually, we thought, well, we're thinking for the um, New Year episode to maybe have a little bit of a look back at what we've done over the last year. Because a year of podcast. I know yeah. that's really quite bad. What there's some statistics about the amount of people who record one or two episodes. And it's a relatively small number of people that get beyond episode number 10, I think. So Yeah, so that's good. But that's not what we're going to talk about today. No, No, I was just going to say, like, it might not be very good quality, but at least we're tenacious. Yes, exactly. But actually, what we did think about was, I think it's quite nice if we go back and, and talk about what brought us here. Yeah. Both in terms of why... I know we did in the first episode the what, why, when, where, which people still listen to. It's nice to go back and and see that. But actually touching a little bit more on that. And I think there's the thing that I thought might be fun to do is, you know, talk about why this as a topic is so interesting to us. And I think we've come at it in different ways. And it's almost a bit too obvious. It feels like, well, you were both in the military. You're both, you know, in leadership positions in various ways. Surely this is interesting. For me, certainly, this preceded any of that. And I'm sure it's a little bit interesting for you as well, where you came from. So we can talk a bit about that. I thought that might be quite interesting. But the second thing, which maybe we'll do a little bit later, is also talk about the individuals that influenced us. Because I think that's quite, you know, we've got one of our episode themes is called Influencers about famous people. Maybe to talk about less famous people, but people who have impacted us and why they impacted us. So... I, I guess this that was a very long and verbose way of saying this is an episode where we're going to be a little bit more personal and and rather than tell you about kneffin drink or other processes or approaches or ideas or even guests 
this one, we're going to indulge ourselves and give us an episode where we can talk about, you know, some of the things that interest us and motivate us personally and how we got there. How does that sound, Gareth? Is that is that better than talking about the five leadership lessons to learn from Santa? Which, by the way, I know as we speak, there will be blogs and podcast episodes talking about. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's an opportunity for us to talk a little bit more candidly about who we are. Rather than, I don't know that I want to do that. Well, yeah, well, we'll, we'll see. But, but rather than sort of talk ethereally about concepts and books that we've read, and we can actually talk a little bit more about our own beliefs and our own journey. I mean, why don't you talk a bit about your journey to where you are today? I've talked with you in the pub about your journey, and I think it's a really interesting one. How did you get to where you are today? And why are these topics as interesting to you after... 40 or 50 episodes or whatever we've done than they were at the beginning? So I think it's worth me going back to before I joined the Royal Marines and without wanting to turn this into some sort of psychoanalytical sort of therapy session, I grew up with learning difficulties. So I had what at the time was labelled dyslexia and dyspraxia, but I think the understanding of that sort of world has moved on quite a bit. And I think if I was diagnosed today, it would be somewhere else in that learning learning difficulties kind of spectrum. But I really struggled with reading and writing. And I was sort of early on at school kind of written off as a nice kid, polite, but he's probably not going to amount to much. I didn't believe it myself. I always knew that I liked to answer questions. I was inquisitive about things. I just struggled to articulate it, particularly in reading and writing. I was relatively good at science at school, and I did okay at math. But English languages, uh, and certainly in sort of junior school, elementary school, um, I really, really fell behind and, and really struggled. On top of that, I was born with a hair lip and a cleft palate. I looked a bit funny and had a speech impediment that I still have now, which is why it's somewhat surprising that I write a lot for a living and do a podcast. But there you go. Doesn't that actually talk about what you've just said, though, about not doing the thing people expect you to well, do? Well, I think that's part of it. I think I was somebody who was... I became, as a result of that, determined to prove people wrong. So very early on, I decided I wanted to join the military. I think, like all little boys, I wanted to be an astronaut. That evolved quite quickly into wanting to be a fighter pilot in the Air Force. And then somewhere along the lines, probably in my sort of pre-teen years, that evolved into wanting to join the Royal Marines. And a lot of people said it was never going to happen. And Why? Why did they say it was never going to happen? I think because of, I didn't look the part. I was quite quick, but I was also quite small my age. And I got these learning difficulties. I wasn't top of the class in academics. I didn't, I probably didn't appear to be sort of particularly talented at anything. And I was sort of just a nice, polite kid who tried hard, but didn't excel but i think the one thing i did have and i've learned from an early age is sort of tenacity anyway kind of rambling now the the thing that i found that i was 
okay at was science. And the thing that I was really interested in was science and the and the technical kind of subject, science, technology, design, and computing, which was a sort of emerging subject when I was at school. So I kind of went on this path of thinking that everything else was a little bit soft and fluffy and a bit pointless for the art because I wasn't very good at them and because I'd never sort of shown any kind of aptitude for them. Uh, and in my mind, it was things that are objectively technical subjects, hard sciences are the way forward. And of course, that's what you need if you're going to be a leader in the military. And that was my thinking. So I kind of doubled down on that and went to army college, had a little bit of a of a detour from my, I'm going to join the Marines. I was sort of sold a pup, really, by an army recruiter. And I ended up going to army college. And then as a result of that, I did um, a technical degree, undergraduate degree at an army university or a defence university sponsored by the army. Um, but I still wanted to join the Royal Marines. And I kind of did a transition whilst I was there. Joined the Marines and went through training found it difficult it is a difficult thing i found it challenging it pushed me to my absolute limits got through training and i've talked in the podcast before about my combat tours in afghanistan and stuff and that was my first few years and then i ended up working in a in a job where i was trying to coordinate surveillance and reconnaissance capabilities for free commando brigade and I ended up having to go away and do some training with the Air Force, looking at all the different types of collection capabilities in the military. So by satellite, drones, electronic warfare, and all of these things that I didn't really have a, a huge amount of insight into. And I started this course thinking this is incredibly technical. And we were learning about radar theory and we were learning about electro-optical sensors and all sorts of very technical hard science stuff. And by the end of the course, I realised that most of the problems we had weren't technical science problems. They were decision-making problems. We either had too much information or we had too little information. We had to make sense of it. And most of this was not about the collection capabilities and the technology that we were employing. It was about lines of effort. It was about organizations talking to each other communicating with each other sharing information and then it was about people interpreting that information and using it to make decisions and that for me was sort of the, the start of this journey where i effectively had a sort of an epiphany moment where i realized that i'd blinkered myself to only thinking about hard science technical things and dismissing everything else as pointless to actually realising that the hard science bit, although technically very, very challenging, is the easy bit, and it's culture that matters. So the second bit of my career, if you like, then became focused on how do we make better decisions. I went to staff college, but at the intermediate command of staff college land with the army, which was... 11 months at Shrivenham, where we focused heavily on staff planning, how does a brigade, how does a division sort of plan operations. But we also looked at things like how do we make decisions, 
what is leadership, what is management. And I was relearning these kind of subjects, but through the lens of now being open to the idea that soft sciences, psychology, sociology, culture really, really matter. And I ended up doing a master's degree in how defence makes decisions and the role of organisational culture in allowing us to do that in a more successful way. And so I kind of went full circle and became passionate about establishing good working cultures that make good decisions. You know what? I mean, we've been friends now for a while. Um, I knew bits of that, but actually I didn't know all of that. And it's really interesting to see the parallels and the differences. So when I was at school, I was not one of the cool kids. I was not sporty and I'm still not sporty. Yeah. You know, swimming was my thing, but that's because, you know, I quite like the water and whatever. But it, 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 I was never this brilliant sportsman. And so to some degree, I was on the outside. And you all remember this. Either you were one of the cool kids at school or not one of the No, kids. I definitely wasn't. And do you know what I mean? You mm. you know you're a, you're a little bit outside. And I, I had no idea what I wanted to do, but I, I realised I was... This, this sounds way more dramatic than it was, and I certainly didn't think about the time, but I was trying to find out where my place was, what my yeah. tribe was, what I needed to do. And even then I started to notice that I was interested in doing things that others perhaps weren't weren't able to shuffle that extra foot forward to go and do so you know i liked aeroplanes i wanted to be a pilot and so well i was going to join the military and it's interesting because you said you know you want to join the military but it turns out there's not as many people there's lots of people who say they want to do it yeah and there's very few people that then take the first step and then the second step and the third step and i remember and i think we've talked about this in a previous episode that the royal navy brilliantly sent me on a week's course which they sort of positioned so I was still at school and they positioned as a leadership course but really it was them looking for potential future officers they didn't I was stupid and naive at the age of 15 not to even realize this and I thought I was just getting a free week away but I was fascinated I was around all these people that were already on this path to doing something military and leadership I started to get a name for myself for asking stupid questions. And frankly, that's followed me through my career. And as you, you know, I've probably joked about and people have heard, I talk too much, but actually, and it touches on something you said, it's just curiosity. Yeah. I, 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 you know, while other people can run really fast and are brilliant at science, I'm really curious that that to some degree was my superpower. And I joined the military. That was, that was interesting. Again, it's that, and and you've you've I don't really use the word resilience, but I've realized that a lot of success and leadership is about not being the first person to stop. In yeah. fact, being the last person to stop generally means there's no one else standing in the way you move forward. So I learned this idea of keep going. So I, I did my time in the military, and that was just fascinating for me because it was this new world of new people doing new things. I remember talking about my time in the military and that really, really shaped me. Um, for those of you who've got kids and are thinking, should the kids go into the military? For me, at least, and I suspect for you, it was incredibly formative. Yeah. And I can break it down to this one story, which was, and I apologise if I've told this one before, but 
I had failed my navigators course. I was trained to be a navigator in, on helicopters because I wanted to fly. I'd failed the course and they wanted to know what I wanted to do next. And so they sent me to an airfield in a place called Leon Solent near Portsmouth. And I was, they, they called them SLJOs, shitty little jobs officers. In other words, look, you're so junior, you've never done anything real. We're just going to put you in a little job. And they, they put me in charge of the air traffic control tower. Now, for anyone panics, this was a mostly closed air traffic control tower. And the air traffickers that were responsible were trained air traffickers. But I was just there to look after a couple of guys to write their reports. It was nothing serious and it was meant to be part time. But my boss called me in the office one day and said, Sub-Lieutenant Kitchener, the American 7th Fleet, or whoever it was, is steaming up to Norway and they need to resupply. Someone found Leon Solent on a map and has said they are going to resupply the fleet from here. They didn't realise it's not a proper airfield with radar. Your job, Chris, is to go away and write plans up to reactivate the airfield for major fleet operations. <laughs> now, spoiler alert, as it happened, about three days later, the US Navy realized, you know what, we should probably go to one of our bases and resupply where you know we have everything there. But what was really interesting to me was it was literally the Chris, you've never done this before. You are now in charge of something very large and complicated that you've never done before. So Fascinating parallels there. But for me, what then started to change was once you start to become successful, or at least you start to carry on and you people don't shout at you, you should stop because you're terrible. I always had that fear to start with. They would, as it were, find me out. It started to get more and more interesting. And I, I wanted to learn more yeah. to become more proficient. And as I did that, I got personal satisfaction, not just from mastering my trade, whatever that was, and that then when I left the military, but also understanding the world around me. In fact, I think even to this day, I'm always fascinated. How, why did that just happen? Something just happened there, you know, yeah. whether it's the advent of Donald Trump or, or Boris Johnson in government. Did that happen? Yeah. That seems interesting and odd through to you know, teams being successful or products being shipped on time or bosses being good or bad. And I became fascinated understanding me and I became fascinated understanding the world. And, and perhaps the bit that brings us to the current day is, and then all of a sudden I started going, well, if I understand the world better and I understand this process of leadership and management better that now I'm part of or slowly became part of, Actually, I can be more successful. And yeah. I'm, I'm sure I've told the story where there was a period where I became really frustrated because the leadership that I was working with, I did not understand why they were making those decisions. And I've seen this. This is a classic problem. You don't understand it. and You think they're idiots. You think they're crazy and you become frustrated and even angry. And I've seen this now with people on my teams where they've reached that point where they almost can't hear what's going on because they're just so angry and so frustrated. I reached that point at a certain point in my career. And by, I can only assume luck or having been hit by lightning or a brick. One day, rather than being angry, I started to say, well, hang on, they can't be that stupid because this is an organization that's very successful, doesn't hire idiots. To me, it sounds like they're crazy or they're idiots. Can't 
let's yeah. trust this. Yeah. If that wasn't true, why might they be making decisions like this? And all of a sudden, this new world opened up to me where I started to sort of better, be more, even more practically curious. And that's what helped me on my journey. And, and still, one of the episodes I most enjoyed making was episode number two or three, Personal Narratives, which was very personal to me about how the world operated and where I sat in that. So, frankly, you could say for all of that, it was curiosity that brought me here and then a passion for sort of understanding the world and doing better. It's really interesting when you talk about the assuming that other people are idiots, but there must be more reason for it. Because I had almost the exact opposite process in that the military clearly has very defined ranks. And as you sort of quite eloquently articulated, you start at the very bottom with very little, if you know, almost no experience, but some slight authority and an expectation of competency, even if it you know, you can just get stuff done. Authority without experience, which is yeah. at our sort of our point in the career, you can see people who are enthusiastic, bright, but don't have any experience. But don't have any experience. And it's that it's a really dangerous time. It, it is. It's also really interesting time and what i really like about the military is that they do things like call you into their office hey chris you he you're you're i imagine it was a two and a half and he knew exactly what he he was doing he knew that the seventh fleet were never going to use ever but going to throw this problem at you because they see it as an opportunity to develop whereas i think other organizations perhaps don't do that so much but what's interesting is when you're in that position of being a, a junior officer or a or a junior soldier or sailor or airman, you you look up at everybody around you and think, one day I'll be as good as these people and I'll know everything they know and I'll be able to make all the right calls. And what you don't realise at that you know beginning of that journey is that at every level people are promoting and finding themselves having to make decisions they've never made before, having to command organisations at a level they've never done before, and go behind, you know, closed doors and have a little panic and have a little a little bit of anxiety that go, they're going to get found out. I'll and, go one step further forward as well, which is we've, we've done lots of these influencers, and also we talk a lot about, in my career, I've seen lots of people be like, this person is amazing, this person is great. They're fantastic. And, and I've been very lucky where I've had a varied career where I get very, very nervous when someone is described as amazing. Yeah. Because actually, as every single influencer episode we have talked about, possibly with the exception of Dolly Parton, who is amazing, <laughs> amazing. in every way. Yeah. But actually, most of these great leaders were also crappy leaders yes. in their own way. And Yeah. And some of the best leaders are, you know, objectively terrible leaders if you look at all the yeah. you know they're arrogant they don't listen they're rude they have bad personal hygiene whatever it is you know on paper they're terrible and for whatever reason the circumstance they're in the team they've got the job they have to do all the stars align and they do brilliantly and they do it repeatedly so there's something there but where where you were sort of at that point where you were thinking, why are these idiots doing these things and not necessarily seeing the bigger picture as to work out why? I was almost getting the opposite. And I was like, 
in awe of senior officers yeah. and going, one day I will be as knowledgeable and as bright and as capable. And then it, I had this moment where I, I, I got promoted early, not because I'm particularly good, but just because I was in the right place at the right time. And I happened to have the right, what we call the military squep, which is suitably qualified and experienced personnel. We love an actor. That's great. Yeah. I want my own squep. So I happened to be the one person who'd gone away to learn about all these sensors and collection capabilities at a time where it was really important. And so I, I got promoted early and got invited into the the big boys the club club yeah 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 you know, where I, so I was operating at, at a brigade the commander is a brigadier the brigade commander and I suddenly found myself in planning groups in with the brigade commander the chief of staff all of the unit commanders the operations officer the deputy commander and me and and I was acting one rank higher but I was still one rank lower than the lowest rank of everybody else in the room. And I was really nervous the first time this happened. And I found myself in the planning room on an amphibious ship at sea. And I walked in and I was like, I'm going to get found out. They're going to, they're going to get that man out yeah, of here. They're going to ask me questions and I'm not going to know the answer. And I'm, they're going to have conversations. I'm not even going to understand what's going on. And, and I walked in and it, what was, what was wonderful was I walked in and two of the commanding officers who are, in my mind at the time, very senior, very respectable people, were having some sort of pull my finger, I'm about to do a fart moment, and then very quickly stopped because I walked in. And then the conversation started, and I suddenly realised that I, I knew as much about what was going on, and, yeah, I hadn't done the staff colleges, and I hadn't quite got the experience they'd all got, but I had opinions that people valued, and there were problems that I thought about in a different way. And suddenly I was part of this group and I realised that the senior officers are just as fallible, they're just as human. And one of the commanding officers, uh, a chap called Ben, had a coffee with me you know, a couple of hours later. And he said, what you've got to realise, Gareth, is there are brilliant senior officers and there are, frankly, pretty poor senior officers but they all have a staff that feed them briefs. So they will all sound really, really clever. And the way you can tell is when you brief them, the questions that they ask, because if they throw in new information at you that they know that you don't, then they're showing off. If they take the information that you've given them in your brief, analyze it, maybe think about it in the bigger picture with other stuff, and then come back with questions, that show they've understood it and have thought about it from their perspective, then they're the capable, bright people. And it suddenly changed the way that I looked at senior officers. And it also made me feel a little bit more emboldened. Well, there's, there's, there's so much in there because the, what you've just described is a little moment where you realise there's, there's almost a little light bulb or aha moment yeah. where you walk a little bit taller and you go home thinking, I know a little bit more than I did. And, and actually, the reason why I say that is because, you know, we've talked about curiosity. I love curiosity because I still, after at the age of 52, I say this to my team and I know they don't believe me. Every day is a learning day. Every day there is an opportunity. In fact, many days, most days 
there's an aha moment where I'm, oh, that's why that's happening, or that's what I'm going to do next. And it's those little moments yeah. that tease me forward. But going, going back to the, the point, I think there's a real lesson that we've come at from different angles, which is if you think everyone is brilliant, you're missing the point and you will you will get it wrong. Yeah. If you think everyone's an idiot and you're the only one with the answer, you'll miss the point and you'll get, get it wrong. wrong. Yeah. The secret is not worrying about everyone's brilliant or terrible. The secret is to say, let's assume that there's a room full of people and they're like me and they have good days and bad days. Yeah. And there are some who are really good and some who are really bad and some are average. And actually, the secret is to be curious. That I think that is a superpower, curiosity. And actually, don't assume that you don't have something to offer. I think I think that's really really powerful. Brilliant. Should we should we take a break? But I I'm I'm going to go as it were off script when we come back. I'd love to talk a bit more about my time at Dartmouth because, and I, I'd love to have you do the same at Limston as well because. As I said, my time in the military was formative. And, and honestly, I spent a couple of years sort of training and waiting to train. That wasn't the exciting bit. I think Dartmouth was the bit that was fascinating for me. And while many of my friends would deny this, there's a friend of mine, Philip, who would be shouting right now at the podcasting device saying, you hated this. I loved it. I thought it was fascinating. So why don't we come back and talk a bit more about some of our experiences that, that formed us? Wonderful. You have to break. So I went a little bit. Oh, welcome back, by the way. Um, I went a little bit off script just towards the end. You should never put two ex-military people in a room because they will always swing the lamp, open the hangar doors or whatever. What's the Marine equivalent? Of swing the lamp. Is it you? Yeah, it's like the, the naval, naval, naval yeah, term, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so sometimes we'll say spin a dip. The Don't army will say pull up a sandbag. So they pull up a sandbag. <laughs> oh, that's how quaint. And the RAF... Get a hotel room key. RAF don't have stories. Then they have stories. No, they don't do anything. We just outside. offended a bunch of RAF people. That's shocking. <laughs> but no, um, what was the experience of Limston? And and I realised there'll be some Marines listening to this who are currently turning the, the podcast down and going to something more interesting. But yeah, it's fascinating. We Limston, it's really interesting. So I went to Dartmouth, the BRNC Royal Naval College Dartmouth. So for many people, that's considered this, wow, you went to Dartmouth. That's amazing, this heritage. And, that, and yet for me, weirdly, I would say, you went to Limston? That's amazing. I think because of the physical aspect. Mm. But what was your... Well, I have a Dartmouth story that I will tell in a minute. So we're going to do an episode in a couple of weeks in Sandhurst. I'm very excited. Um, and I suspect we may end up talking with the Army Leadership Centre a little bit about some of the differences. But for me... As I said, I'd wanted to be a Royal Marine since I was probably 13 or 14. It was all I wanted to do. It was the most important thing in the world to me. So the first thing was I got to Limston. And the selection process it's huge, actually. Is, is quite, it's quite rigorous and there's quite a few steps. So all the way through, I didn't know whether I was going to make it and get to Limston. And then you're faced with this like 15-month. It's the longest basic training in the world both for Marines and officers. So for Marines, it's 32 weeks, which is the longest basic training for non-commissioned in the world. 
and for the Oscars it's 15 months so for us I think it was 62 weeks at the time so you're faced with this year and a bit what is going to happen I know it's going to be physical I know it's going to going to test me to the limit and potentially break me it's going to be miserable it's going to be it's going to test my physical courage test my physical endurance test my mental resilient courage you know all of the it was described to me before I went by a a Royal Marine officer who'd done it a few years earlier as a bit like having to study for a master's degree while training for the Olympics now I've done a master's degree but I haven't trained for the Olympics so not sure I, I I could compare it directly but but it certainly is challenging you in both mind and body constantly but I was elated that I was there and I had a little kind of mantra to myself which is a bit cliche because it's very similar to all the ones you'll read in any of these kind of books about arduous training but it was basically I won't quit I will either be broken or told to leave and I'd say that to myself whenever I found it hard and I'd say it to myself first thing in the morning and last thing at night and I was adamant that I wasn't going to quit and I think that's that's the key to these things I mean I I think that the military gives you again all of these are cliches by the way and if you're a civilian we apologize if you're in the military we doubly apologize um the military gives you the opportunity to prove yourself yes i think it is an extreme so it takes you typically to your physical and mental limits i remember falling asleep during lectures because we were so tired yeah and i mean we were Athletic air crew at Dartmouth. So, like when we say we fell asleep, that's probably because it was sort of you know six o'clock. We'd had a few drinks and it was time to sleep. But but it it pushed you and it set very high standards. Yeah, there was a clear we have no compunction asking you to leave. In fact, yeah. statistically, we know a percentage of you will not make this. Yes, and so therefore we're actually actively finding out which one of you that is. Yeah. I think that's a, for many people that say, well, that's macho rubbish. Actually, what it was, was it allowed the people that were going to succeed to thrive and the people that weren't to identify that quite soon. So it it feels like it was almost exaggerated in terms of, you know, since since after you left Limpston and after I left Dartmouth, I mean, although my career was very brief, it was never quite as hard as that. Yeah. They pushed you just to say, this is the heightened example. How do you do in a heightened example? Just to be clear, doing things like ironing underpants into a triangle. Yes. And if you yeah. didn't iron underpants into the right triangle, they would be thrown across the room, which sounds weird, but oh my God, ironing my underpants into a triangle and polishing my shoes became the single most important thing for a yeah. couple of months of my life. So I think there's a couple of things there. One is in a, in a later episode, we'll look at, how you develop people and we'll do a whole episode on it but one of the things is the military has evolved quite a bit over the last couple of decades and they've moved away from an idea of selecting people out there is a threshold there is a benchmark and you're not going to meet it so we're going to find where your weaknesses are and then the people that they can't find those weaknesses they make it through to one of we're going to train people in that's really which means we're not going to lower that bar. That threshold is the same. The standard remains, but we're going to find your weaknesses early and we're going to build you up to make sure that we overcome those weaknesses so they become strength, so you meet the criteria. 
of course people still don't yeah and there is still they are you know criteria that have to be met there is a standard but it changes the whole dynamic so i think we can talk about that you know, in a different episode but i think to your point of it's an it's an extreme kind of example of pressure of discipline of of all those kind of military packets that are really important but when you say in your time after Limston or Dartmouth, you know, you never found it a card. I did in a different way. Yeah. And it was it was the first introduction for me to a sustained period of this is very hard. Yeah. And it's not like it's for a couple of days. This is like sustained. And and it, it introduced ideas which again I think become cliched, but not only is this about why we do what we do and why we care about it, but I think it also tells us why there's a bit of a passion about it. The other thing about Dartmouth was it was the first time where I understood how to build a tribe. Like yeah. this yeah. was this was a this to me was amazing. Where I had never met these people before, and I was in a cabin full of seven other people. And by the end of the first term, I would I, this sounded I would die for these people. Better way of describing it, I took their washing home to my parents and said. Can you wash these for them? They're like, yeah. why are we washing these other people's? It's like it's like mine. Yeah. That was yeah. that was quite an amazing thing. And 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 after I left Dartmouth, and I after a couple of years, I looked back and went, there's no way I would have become friends with those people because of their different backgrounds. Not because they weren't great people, but they just had such a diverse sort of set of backgrounds. Yeah. And that was another fascinating thing that said you can take a variety of different people. And it doesn't take much to create this amazing group of people who they would have carried me 10 miles to finish a thing. Yeah. And they would have done that without blinking. And you 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 look in the civilian world and you go, oh, that's interesting. They don't, they haven't had those experiences necessarily. Yeah. See the things, except obviously when you think about fire brigade and ambulance and police. Yeah, I, I, but strong teams that are gonna have to work under pressure. Yeah. And I think there's a there's probably a misconception and that Hollywood kind of reinforces the misconception here that you know, the military is looking for super, supermen, you know, it's looking for ubermen, it's looking for square jawed, six foot four, you know, they can run a marathon but also do 12 rings in a professional boxing fight. And, and actually what it's looking for is people that when the chips are down, when things are hard, keep going. And it's not about being strong it's about being tenacious there are certainly you know the royal marines in comparison to the navy you know the physical requirements are slightly harder because the physical requirements of the end job are slightly harder it's never about anything more than showing you can get there and do it and one of the reasons that training is so hard is it gives you the confidence to be able to be on your own or be a leader leading a team on your own. And I've talked about my Norway example. When things go wrong, when things hurt, when it's physically hard, to have the confidence to go, I've been in worse and I got there. I got through it. Well, there's there's that moment when you finish. So we we did various exercises and there was one called PLX, which was the end of our first term. And it, I think it was a 72-hour exercise where we walked some stupid was it on Dartmoor? Of course, it was. Did on you Dartmoor. carry bits of wood? We did carry bits of wood, and, okay. and even more hilariously, we carried a very large rope that was called a growler. I need to mm. tell a story. 
So on my second or third field exercise in training, so this is really early on, we've learned how to put up a poncho with a bit of shelter, dig a trench, cook ration pack, wash your feet and change your socks and apply cam cream and not a lot else. And we were on Dartmoor in what is called a triangular harbour position. But what it means is it's a place where you can lie up for the night and sleep and you take it in turns to sleep or do sentry. And it's a triangular shape because the apexes of that triangle are where your sentries are. And then if everybody wakes up, they wake up and point outward. And now you have all round defense immediately. We were, like okay, really early on, but it's a zero light discipline environment. So there are no torches, not even like red, red lights or anything. It is, you do everything in the dark. We were doing wet and dry drills, which means when you get up to go on sentry, you put your wet clothes back on. When you get into your sleeping bag, you're not lazy and you take your wet clothes off and put dry clothes on to maintain your ability to sleep properly, to make sure you've always got a dry set of clothes. You know, all of these drills were being taught to us really, really early on. Everything is silent, it's all hand signals and taps on the shoulder. And at two in the morning, I think I'd been off sentry for half an hour. I'd got out of my wet clothes, I put my dry clothes on, I just got into my sleeping bag. And all I could hear was giggling, that, laughing, that would have been us. shouting. And I was like, what is that? And then suddenly the rattle of GPMG fire, so general purpose machine gun fire, as one of our sentries shouts the warning, they don't heed the warning, opens up with machine gun fire. It turns out this is a load of Dartmouth cadets plodding around with head torches and bits of wood, and they stumble into our harbour position, absolutely shit themselves and run off. That, that sounds like us, actually. Yeah. And there would have been some directing staff standing about 20 metres behind, mm. laughing their asses off. Probably standing next to our directing staff, because we all stood too, which means we all got out of our feet bags, got our weapons, got into our all-round defence ready for whatever it was only for our ds to walk walk into the harbor area and say right gentlemen you've been compromised that happens to have been a dartmouth exercise those are dartmouth officer cadet but now they know where you are so we ended up having to pack everything away fill in our trenches clear everything patrol out three or four kilometers to the next wood block to re-establish a harbor position by which point, by the time we dug our trenches and sort of got back into our routine, I got back into my sleeping bag like five, four or five hours is gone, which is quite a, quite an important four or five hours, and it's now nearly dawn. And so that was my first introduction. To on, behalf, on behalf of the Royal Navy, I'd like to apologise. No, but I, I think these, and there's the other thing as well is, I mean, we, we, we joked at the beginning of this about sort of lean back, tell a story, swing the lamp, tell a, tell a bit, pull up a story. This is a really important part of the military, which is these shared experiences. Yes. Yeah. Every single story you tell brings you closer to your... Do you remember that time when we did this? There's the story of the person who did that. Yeah. And it allows you to separate yourselves and say, we are not like them. We are operating in a different way as a team. And it, I think... It's so easy for people who've never been in the military to sort of see this as cliched things they've seen in films. But it is remarkable how these things actually have a real impact. And going back to my time at Dartmouth, just this idea where they sat us down and said, 
we're going to talk to you about how to be leaders. Now you think about that. I was 21, I think it was when I went to Dartmouth. Name me another organization that is not a military organization that sits people down at the age of 21 and says, we're now going to sit you down and teach you principles of leadership. Yeah. That was quite, and, and that going back to my thing about, for me, curiosity, it was like, was fascinating. And we did, again, this is more for people who have not been in the military, practical leadership tasks, which are these fantastic things. They're little exercises. You're typically in an area, you know, 20 meters, maybe less than 20 meters. There's often barrels and planks and things. And always it was in our time, I, I'm interested to see if it's different, shark infested custard. Quite often, yeah. Did you have shark infested? Yeah. And so the point was you had to move yourselves, your team, and probably some heavy ammunition cases or something naval heavy across on these barrels. And, and it, it seemed like a lot of fun, but again, they were teaching you the basics of leadership. And to this day, I was even catching myself saying this to my son is, you sit down, you, 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 know, you give someone the mission, the task, you stop, you read the task, you have to understand the task. Don't half-ass it, understand the task. You then go back to the team, this is, this is, I'm sure this hasn't changed. You go back to the team and you say, you are my timekeeper and you point to someone. Sorry, you don't point, you indicate. <laughs> Pointing's bad. Um, you indicate. And then each member of the team has this role. Then you say, this is the mission. You brief them. Does anyone have any ideas? They all come up with their ideas and you say, thank you. And you list, think for a bit and say, thank you for all your ideas. This is the plan. And then you execute it. And it, it's this ridiculous sort of pantomime that we did time and time again. But I look back now, 30 years later, and realize, oh, it turns out they were teaching us how to achieve a task with a team full of people and the dynamics and the yeah. falls and all those things. So anyway, we, we've got a, we've talked about our journeys and our, and our experiences. And we've sort of told some training dips, I think we call them. The most rather, exciting dips. Yeah, rather, rather than war stories. So training dips are normally banned. And you normally have to drink an awful lot of alcohol if you, if you, if you tell a I only had training dips. Well, this is it. Young, so this, this is the reason is that you know, young officers and, and uh, recruits that have just passed out of training are really proud. They've passed out, and rightly so. But they didn't turn up to units where the you're old and bold, the old and bold, the you bar know, with the roll up cigarettes, yeah, you know, telling some story about being, you know, ambushed by Dartmouth cadets in Dartmoor when they've just come back from Iraq is probably not that relevant. So, anyway, we, we've talked a lot and we found out a bit about each other, which is great. I think what, what would be nice to finish this episode off would be to then talk about how that shaped our understanding of all the things we talk about so leadership decision making strategy culture what's important i'm not going to ask you the the difficult question of what makes a good leader because of course that that context driven but but what are the important attributes you've already talked about inquisitiveness well i think first of all in whatever form that comes curiosity is number one yeah curiosity is the thing that stops you saying Oh, I know this works. Don't worry about this. I've got this. Let's take a shortcut and it all goes wrong. Curiosity for me is the reason why I do this podcast. Every time we have this conversation, even though we've talked many of these topics before, I learned something new. So empathy for others. Yeah. That is not to be a big hippie about other people, but empathy to see I've got people around me. What are they like? Did they have a good weekend, a bad weekend? That I think. 
whenever I've found leaders with empathy, even when they've done things I didn't want them to do or made me do things that I wasn't comfortable with, I knew that they weren't doing it blindly out of some sort of selfish thing. They, they were thinking about me and therefore empathy, I think, is really important. There's, there's another one which we don't talk about, and I think it gets misinterpreted sometimes, but it is enthusiasm. Now, I was known to be the perkiest man in NATO where I could be up to my neck in, sorry, training dip. <laughs> I could be up to my neck in water and I would have a big grin on my face. And, and, and that was sort of joked about as in, yeah, you're an idiot kitchener. But enthusiasm, I have found, is, is contagious. And if you're enthusiastic, they mean perky, you're genuinely enthusiastic, like, come on, let's go do this. Um, enthusiastic about your curiosity, enthusiastic about the people you're with, that is a superpower. Yeah. And notice none of these are about, I have to agree with you. None of these are about fake things. But if you can be curious, enthusiastic, empathetic. And then the last one for me, I'm sure there's more, but the last one is what you've said, which is, and I was lucky enough to listen to Bear Grylls do a talk three weeks ago. And the punchline for his talk was never give up. And I know it is, you know, we've talked a lot of sort of bright phrases this episode, but his statement, never give up, which, which links to what you have said, which links to what I have said, which is if you said to me in whatever form I have been successful in my professional career, what do you attribute part of that to be? It is keep going. Keep going, keep turning yeah. up, keep wanting to learn. Keep, maybe the word keep there is the important bit. And you might not learn something today. You might not learn something tomorrow. You might not be successful, but just keep at it, keep at it. So that persistence and resilience, or as as, as Bear said, never give up. I think that's really important. Awesome. No, that's great. And what I, you? well, I wrote a few down before I asked the question. And and thankfully, that's cheating, that is. Well, well, thankfully, only one of them is the same, although I think there is clear overlap. Yeah. So I was asked this question, as I'm sure you were, when I applied to join initially the Army, then, then the Marines. What makes a good leader is a kind of good interview question, isn't it? And I, I get it when I'm interviewed for jobs. Well, <laughs> and I, I had to write an essay, actually, on whether it was more important to be popular or respected by your subordinates. Of course, you want to be liked. You want to be popular. That's not the. But actually, having the the courage to make the tough calls, be decisive when needed, even though not necessarily the thing that everybody else yeah. wants, is is important. So, yes, it is important to be liked. Likeability is a really, really important facet. I think actually having the courage to do the right thing, and this comes back to. We, we had a whole chat not that long ago about dilemmas and it was about, you know, there are dilemmas where everything's wrong and, and now you've got to pick the least wrong. And then there are integrity tests where it's about doing the right thing. We've been, I think, very positive in this episode and rightly so about the military, the way the military trains. There are things about the military that I think we need to explore in future episodes where we just put that under a little bit of a microscope and test it. But, but, I, but I think I think that's that, that goes back to that point about 
in ev- everything in life, you can't just say, oh, well, it's one of those. Yeah. In other words, the military is not full of stupid people or brilliant people. It is full of a mix of those. Absolutely. It is it's not a bell just, curve of people. It's and, a bell curve yeah. of activities, a bell curve of excellence, a bell curve of everything you like. Yeah. And 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 you're right. I mean, we've we've picked on the positives. I think because these are the things that we've been lucky enough to grab hold of and accentuate. But you were also right that it's important. Part of my learning, I mean, we we were we were sort of discussing what we might talk about this episode. And one of the activities you said, what what does it mean to be for you to be a good leader? I I do quite a lot of coaching at the moment, or coaching and mentoring. You know, I, I'll blend those together for this. And the first exercise I often do is say to the people, what kind of a leader do you want to be? Yeah. And they'll they'll often answer with a very sim- simplistic view because they've never thought about it. And then I say, okay, I want you to go away and I want you to do this exercise. And the first part of the exercise is almost like this episode. I want you to go away and think about all the, the most influential people in your life, leaders or managers, and I want you to tell me what it was about them that makes you think they're so good. And write that down because what you're actually doing is telling me what you think it means to be a leader. That's all fine. But to your point about the we can't always sort of think about the positives, I also do the second bit, which they're less expecting, which is I want you to think about all the worst people you have ever met and all the people that made you horrified, make you go, I do not want to work for these people. Yeah. I can't believe they did that. And then I want you to flip it around and say, okay. How do I not do that? How do I yeah. not do that? And now... You have just, and it's actually, this goes back to sort of why we do all of this. A lot of what I do now is, for me, it's sharing a little bit of my experiences, which is mildly interesting. More important is helping these people on their own journey. So the point of that exercise is not what does Chris think it means to be a good leader. That is not that interesting at all. I'll answer the question if you ask me. What's more interesting is what did you think is being a good leader? Because yeah. you're developing you as this leader. Yeah. And therefore take those positives and negatives, blend them all together. And that's what makes that your that's your beginnings of your yeah. lack of experience. How do you overcome it? Well, you've already got a bunch of experience, you just haven't thought of it that way. But I think when I, I said I sort of went on my journey and, and I joined the Marines with this idea that hard science is technical objective things where there is fact and then there is fiction you know that that was me and i was very cynical and very blinkered and we did a lot of leadership discussions training and the old general slim quote of leadership is just plain you was thrown out and i remember being very dismissive and being like well that's just a lazy cop-out answer isn't Good it? answer whatever like that. that's just you know and then Reviewing that again at Staff College 15 years later, where I now had a huge appreciation for all the things we've been talking about, you know, this idea that leadership is a very personal thing. Yeah. Actually, when General Slim says leadership is just plain you, that encompasses all of that complexity. So it's not this, um, you know, throwaway answer that doesn't mean anything. It's actually, it's actually very sophisticated. Very answer. sophisticated answer. I just, I just wasn't sophisticated enough to understand it. But going back to, to what I think is important in an individual. So the two things that I've got are, so I don't think you actually said a word, but I wrote down tenacity when you said, yeah. um, and I'd already written down determination for me. Yeah, pick some two, three. I think I agree. That's a really important point. And the other one that I had that you've got was enthusiasm. 
because it, it's one of the traits that I don't have naturally, whereas you do. And I know you are, no matter what's going wrong, no matter what we're doing next, you're always the happy, smile-on-your-face idiot that wants to drag us forward and, and go positively into whatever the next crazy adventure is. I personally am a... I, I, I describe myself as a cynical optimist and that I think in the long run, things are going to go well. I think there are lots of positive reasons why we're going to be successful. But I am always the person who is clinically looking at everything that is happening. And therefore, I find it quite difficult to be enthusiastic quite a lot of the time. But I recognise it's important. And so I, I have these kind of personal battles where I find myself having to be enthusiastic in front of the team, but without feeling like I'm faking it. Maybe this is sort of a good way for us to sort of bring this to a close as well and, and somehow claim it's Christmassy. No, can't get away with that. <laughs> I, was just, I, was, I was just thinking we haven't we, really yeah. mentioned Christmas we that much. Now we've mentioned Christmas four times, we, we can we, move we're on. Golden, but, yeah. but I think, so this exercise I do where I say, what kind of a leader do you want to be, as I say, and I really mean this, and I I, I hope people get this when I talk to them, which is leadership is not about you saying i want to be the next steve jobs we 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 made this point in the steve jobs episode yeah leadership is how do you make the best you you can be because the best you is way more valuable than the best copy of steve jobs or the best copy of someone yeah else. quite so but what you've said which i think is equally which i think ties into this is there are a hundred ways different ways you can be a brilliant leader or a brilliant manager or a brilliant strategist or a brilliant tactician. There is no algorithm for this. No. That is why we've been talking for 52 weeks and hopefully we'll talk for another 52 weeks is because there's a thousand ways you could do this. And so for you to say, Chris, you're the perkiest man alive, that's part of me that makes yeah. me and where I am. But the point is you don't have to be the perkiest man alive. You can be the most miserable man alive and still have the same sort of successes actually the trick is how do you take who you are yeah and how do you apply your strengths and this curiosity is another way of saying for me that's me saying i know there are a thousand ways to do these things if i'm curious i'm going to find 10 more this week and 10 yeah. more next week yeah and that's how i keep keep moving down that line so yeah it's fascinating how these things come together yeah i, I was going to bring this up with my last one because i've got five so we've done two and you have some determination the last one was going to be humor and, and it's one of the royal marine uh commando ethos points is humor under adversity um and the, and the reason i brought it up now is because i think the way that i get around the I'm not naturally enthusiastic because I am naturally cynical is dry wit in that I will make a, a quite morbid or quite down in the dark gallows humour kind of joke about the situation and that somehow has the same effect as being the yeah. come on guys this is brilliant when yeah. it's all shit. There's a balance and what, what I've learned and I'm still very much learning is that what you don't want to do is over-egg the positive when everybody else can tell it's not. 
It's about honesty and genuineness. And what you don't want to do is, you know, say, right, this is shit, we're all going to die, but we've got to get on with it because the boss has said, let's do it. Because equally, that doesn't motivate people either. So finding that balance, but gallows humour, and it's, you know, it's a trait in the military, is a, is a way of dealing with trauma. It's a way of pushing fear, the anxiety, the, the things I need to process and deal with later, but now's not the time out of my mind and it's a way of as you said you, know, you form these bonds where you will die for these people or you will at least do your do their laundry i know, you know? did i get the extremes <laughs> there but you know if suddenly you're laughing with them the situation is better suddenly everything is yeah i i think humor is a really big part but the two i think that are the most important for me are knowledge and by this i mean you don't need to know everything. And we've talked about this before. And, and absolutely, no one can know everything. So knowledge is its just as important to know what you don't know as what you do. It's just as important to know who else in the team has those specialist skills. Is it, uh, it's Richard Branson, isn't it, that says, you know, I deliberately hire people to make sure I'm not the smartest guy in the room. I hire everybody else to be the experts because they allow me to be successful knowledge is not about it's not directly tied to leadership but having self-awareness of knowledge is really it's important the keenness is the self-awareness and that that epiphany moment i had when i went into the principal planning group of the brigade and was sat you know, with the brigade commander and the chief of staff and the you know chief of the guns in fact it was john john Crestwell, who we had on not that long ago john was chief guns he knows everything about artillery we had Ben, who was the engineer, who knew everything about engineering. I didn't need to know everything. The brigade commander didn't need to know everything. We need to know who in the room did, but we all had to contribute something. And I think this is, it aligns nicely to your curiosity thing. What you can't be is ignorant. So I think knowledge is a really, really important thing. And as a leader, you should always be at least aware of the specialism and the knowledge of everybody else. I'll go one step further. You should also be comfortable. I think you've said this in a different way. You should be comfortable not being the smartest person in the room. Yeah. I've met lots of people who do not want smarter people in the room because it makes me look bad. The cleverest people are the ones who say, I'll have all the smart people in the world because yeah. I don't fear their cleverness yeah. or their knowledge but in fact, I embrace it and, you know, they'll teach me a thing or two. And in the meantime, they can answer some of the hard questions I can't answer. Yeah, and I think that's really important. But I think there's also a, a requirement for being the leader to be broad and not deep. Yes. Being the person absolutely. who can stitch the ideas together and can say, I don't know anything about, you know, mensuration of grid for artillery or whatever it is. John, you're my expert but I can talk about artillery. I know what mensuration is. I just don't know how to do it because I need to know because I need you to do it for me. Yeah, this is the Richard Branson idea of I employ smart people so I can be successful. If you've got smart people and you don't know why they're smart, then you can't yeah. exploit that. You can't bring it together to, to form the greater whole is better than the sum of its parts. It's about being confident but vulnerable at yeah. the same time which leads on to my final one which is humility and i think there's two aspects to humility we've talked about humility before 
because it's so important. I, and I think this is perhaps the most important trait in in being successful. It's the humility to look like an idiot because if you are constantly hiding behind the facade of I can't be vulnerable, I can't expose my ignorance, my knowledge gap, people are relying on me, I need to know everything, then you never ask the difficult questions. And we know it starts from the top and plugs downward. And what we need is cultures of honesty, you know, of shared honesty, of discussion, of exposure of problems. So I think humility in terms of being able to say, I don't know much about that, or I'm genuinely at a loss here. This is not something I'm going to go away and think about and come back in half an hour and make a decision. We're going to have to work through this or... I'm going to need a brief on the, the detail of this. Or... I, I need your help is one of the most powerful and strong statements I've ever heard. Absolutely. And then the, the second aspect of it is the humility to be wrong. So where you do think you know the answer, where you do, you've seen this situation before, you know how to deal with it, and then new information presents itself, and suddenly it's not the same. To be able to say, stop, 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 I didn't appreciate that. I thought we were in this situation and it turns out we're in this situation or everything the 18-year-old intern has just said has just completely turned upside down all my logic. So we're going to have to reevaluate this. There's a really important aspect about being, not only being honest about when you don't know stuff, but also being honest about when you've been wrong about stuff. So, and, and that, We've talked about VUCA, we've talked about complexity, we've talked about strategy, not being a plan. All of those things are wrapped in this idea that no one can hold all the information in their head. The information is constantly changing. There is always a new direction. We always need to tinker with our our own ideas. We need to tinker with the direction we're heading. And if you don't have the humility to be able to do that, then you end up just, you end up being, you know, um, I've said it before, precisely inaccurate because you head in the wrong direction very very deliberately well look this was our i was i was about to start playing the bells again but I'm not <laughs> um look we hope you've enjoyed this christmas edition it was a little bit different it was a bit more about us and sort of some of our own history and how we've got here look it's it's christmas i hope that everyone who has listened over the year and we've built up a pretty pretty strong sort of yeah, follower yeah. of people who regularly listen to us. We've had people from all over the world. All we can say is thank you very much for listening to us over the last year. Uh, we hope that it's been mildly entertaining, interesting, maybe opened your eyes to a few new things you hadn't heard before. I want to particularly thank all of our guests, frankly, why they would come on our podcast. I have no idea. Well, and we've got some great left guests lined up. We, so whatever magic sauce we've got is working. He's obviously had his Christmas cheer already. <laughs> um, all that remains to say is please stay safe with your family, friends, loved ones. Uh, we hope you have a chance to relax and uh, rejuvenate over the Christmas period. Uh, we will be back for our New Year's episode or vaguely New Year's. It'll be the one nearest New Year. I don't know how these things work. Yeah, so there's going to be a week gap over the Christmas period. And then the next episode will be the New Year one just after New Year, where we do a review of 2023. Yeah, and that'll be a good, that'll be, that'll be our last sort of 
fun, relaxed one before we get back into sort of our serious topics again, where we we sit back and just talk about some of the guests and some of the concepts that we talked about. Was um, this meant to be a fun and relaxed one? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> there was there was a bowl of wine. Yeah, yeah. A bowl of wine. That was reasonable. Good. Uh, look, uh, like and subscribe, blah, blah, blah. Thank you. We'll see you next episode. Merry Christmas. Mm-hmm.